Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter number 16. There is an activity going on next Saturday that is not in the bulletin, but many of the men of the church are going to it. Some of us were dumb enough to sign up when Blake asked us to do a Tough Mudder competition. I am still trying to find a way out of it by next Saturday. So if anyone needs emergency counseling, or if you have anything you want me to help you with, I will be glad to help you next Saturday. Otherwise, I have to get up at 5 a.m. and drive to Indiana, go on a tough mudding course, and drive back home all dirty and filthy. Actually, I'm supposed to take a change of clothes, but the point is, is that it's going to be a tough Thing. I don't know why we signed up for it. I think it's because we're gluttons for punishment. But anyway, in that vein, this morning in our message series, we're looking at managing God's gifts. Maybe one of them is good health that I should be looking at. But this morning, we're going to read a passage on what is typically called the unjust steward. And I think we're going to find some positive principles from this parable that is given to us this morning. We'll read all 13 verses of the text this morning. We begin our reading in verse number one. The Bible says, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I'm ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that what I put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, write fourscore or eighty. And the Lord commended, by the way, that's one of the most interesting statements in all of the parables. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are of their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves the friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you unto everlasting habitation. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and man. Father, help us this morning as we come to this parable. May we understand our own stewardship in this life. Help us, Lord, to see that it is far more than money. It is our life that we ought to be managing properly for your glory and for the good of others. I pray that you'd help us to have clarity of thought in speech and communication in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Neither story that you would find here in Luke 
chapter 16 is noted particularly as a parable. All we read in verse number 1 is that it says, He said also unto the disciples. Now we have to understand that Luke chapter 16 flows immediately on the heels of Luke chapter number 15. And so what he was saying in parable form on salvation in chapter 15, he continues to the disciples. Notice the audience, if you will, in verse number 1. It is directed to those who have put their faith and their trust in him, those who are ardent followers of his. This message, then, is directed towards those who know Christ as their Savior. The first story is likely a parable because of this, due to the traditional parable nature of a true story and real people. The second story has names in it. That's what we find as not a parable. What's the second story? The second story, Luke 16, is the rich man and Lazarus. The story where we understand that there is a hell and that if we don't trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, all of us are going to that place called hell. No matter how much wealth you have, no matter how much of this world's goods you possess. The gift this morning that we will be looking at or gifts that we are to manage is the life that God has given to us. Adam failed to manage his eternal life and it brought forth death in the garden. We in salvation have received new life in Jesus Christ, and thus we must be good stewards of everything that God has given to us. Brother Mike has just finished preaching five that roll into six great messages on biblical stewardship, and we've enjoyed all of them and the fullness of them. And so I'm not going to try to teach you the particular principles of stewardship as it comes to your personal finances. What I'd like to do in this principle this morning is look at our whole life. Look at the concept of who we are as managers of all that God has given to us. Jesus answers the derision of the religious crowd. If you were to look in verse number 14, after giving this parable in the company of a congregation, but to his disciples, the Bible says this in verse 14, the Pharisees also who were covetous. Oh, there's their problem. They did not manage their life well. They were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. Here in Luke chapter 16, the attention is upon those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. The simplest way to state this principle or the parable this morning is this way. What makes the steward unjust is his management of what he has been entrusted with. What makes him unjust is his management, his use of it. The debtors would think of him quite just, by the way, in this story. All of those who owed the master certainly loved this steward. Why? Because they only had to pay 50 cents on the dollar. Some had to pay 80 cents on the dollar, but they got a discount. It was the management and the use of that which was put into his trust in this life that the steward was marked as unjust. The unjust nature of the man was that he was lazy at best or unwilling at worst to do the daily routine management of the master's resources for the good of the master. That's what this parable teaches us. So there are three lessons on character this morning that we will learn in this principal parable that will help us manage all that God gives to us. First, we begin with the character trait of being genuine in our participation. 
genuine in our participation. Stewardship is active management. I don't know how many of you have a retirement account. It has taken quite a beating this year. If you've watched it, if you have it in the stock market. But if you have a retirement account, most of us who have put money away for that rainy day or the day that is to come in this life, we have people, hopefully, that are actively managing and watching what we put into it. If we don't pay somebody to do it, we better be actively managing and watching our investment. That is the idea that God is giving to us here. When he gives us life and health and peace, when he gives us resources, when he gives us the things of this world, he says to us, these are my things that I give to you. You manage them for my glory. Amen. It's active management. It's genuine participation on our part. This, by the way, is the heart of why the steward is called unjust. He was to be actively using and exercising himself in every area of servanthood to the master and in every way of provision from the master. God expects us to be actively engaged in using the positions and the platform that he entrusts to us for his glory. How are you using your role as a husband, as a father? Well, you know, I'm just hanging in there, Pastor. That's not managing what God's given you. How are you using your role as a wife or a mother? How are you using the role or living within the realm of being a child right now? The teenagers say, I don't know, Pastor. I keep running into a ceiling. I'd like to have my freedom. Enjoy who you are right now. Make full use of who you are right now because the real world is hard. In other words, the principle this morning that we're looking at is what we do with what we have right now. Who are we and what are we doing with those things. Considering our genuine participation in the things that God has given to us, he wants us to be engaged. If he's given you a talent, if he's given you an ability, if he's given you a spiritual gift, if he's given you resources or investments, if he's given you the means to be a blessing, why are you using them only for your good? That's what this steward was doing. He was only living for himself and for the day problem, as we understand then, can be seen in the fact that most of us don't want to be engaged in work, and that is our participation, to be genuinely working, letter A. We should be engaged in genuine work. No one should coast through life. By the way, this is a uniquely American problem, or at least a uniquely first world problem for Christians. We just coast. That's what this steward was doing. It wasn't until he was called on the carpet that he thought, oh man, I forgot all about the master. I forgot all about what I was supposed to be doing. The problem for this steward is that he forgot his position. He began to think that he was the owner of these things and that the master was never coming back. By the way, the church has fallen into this trap thinking that the Lord will never return. Oh, but his return is nigh. I would say it's even on the doorstep. Luke chapter 15, there was the prodigal here, uh, the prodigal son, I should say. Here in Luke chapter 16, we have the prodigal steward, we could say. The problem for most Christians, and especially Christian families, is that church becomes no different than a t-ball game. We show up and we're glad that our family is treated kindly on a Sunday, and then we go home so long as the referee hasn't done something to make us mad. 
You came, you sat in the stands, and then you head home. Stewardship is not just you dropping money in the offering plate. That's time. That's obedience. But that's not the point of your Christian life. Stewardship means I realize the relationships that I find in this body are of God. And that I should seek out a deepening of those relationships. I should be working on building my relationships with others in this place. Look, you're not going to find wholesome, healthy, and holy relationships anywhere but in the church. And so stewarding your life means looking earnestly for believers like you in this church or in a church that you can call home. That is our responsibility. The growth of a church means genuine participation by all of her members. Not everyone can walk on gospel bliss, but there are a whole lot of people who can and never do. What if we determined as a body, sometime before now in the cold, freezing months, I am going to take an hour and a half on one Saturday over the next four months, and either the first Saturday, which is next Saturday, or the third Saturday, which is in North Lexington, and go hand out invitations for 45 minutes of walking. You know, I set my watch, and I usually will walk a mile and a half every time we do gospel bliss. It's not hard, unless you're physically not able. You know what I would ask of that group? Pray on those days. Pastor, will that fill up this place with people? No, it's already full with people. But it will fill you with another level of genuine participation in your stewardship of your Christian life. Well, you sound like some of those fundamental independent Baptist preachers. I know, I'm guilty. But we cannot ever become a church where eight people do the work of evangelizing in a church. Right. It's not that hard. You say, is that what the point of the message is? No, that's just one point and a lot of points that you're going to hear this morning. My point in preaching this message is to see the, the fact that the steward had multiple different resources that were owed to the master. And he, as he went to each of those resources, there was some level of participation, but it wasn't wholehearted, genuine, genuine working participation in those areas. My question to the church body is, what is going to reach the world for Jesus Christ? A lazy a, a church of abiding people doing no work or a church active and engaged in the work of the Lord? And the answer is a church that's active and engaged in the work of the Lord. That will change the world. How long will we continue in our stewardship on such areas of sharing our faith at work, in our neighborhood, corporately and individually? That is the most significant gift that God has given to you. New life. New hope. Grace and salvation. In verse number four, the unjust steward recognized the need to work, by the way. He understood that he was supposed to be doing something. I'm convinced most Christians know that they're supposed to be doing something rather than just coming on Sunday morning, checking the box, and going home. Most Christians know that. But we never take the step to move into genuine participation. We never find an area to genuinely work. Well, Pastor, I'll work if you find the spot I can work in. I just gave you an easy one. That's why I gave that one. 
It's the easiest, most benign, most simple way for you to jump in and do something. He understood in verse 4 the need to work. And it was only after he failed in his primary role as a steward that he engaged in the work. Rather than working for the master in and by the grace of the master, he only worked to save his own neck. How dare we be those kinds of Christians? I'm just working to look good. So that everybody will think better of me. We should be genuinely working, but let it be, we should be genuinely wary or aware. There's some things that we should be mindful of. A good work ethic needs to be combined to a good plan. A disciple to whom this parable is directed is a learner of the master. We learned that at the end of chapter number 14 in Luke. Here in Luke 16, this steward had multiple areas of management. One could say it wasn't micromanagement of one specific area of his life. But it was his whole life that was under review. The whole of the master's investment was at a reckoning. There's four T's, and I put them in your notes there, that I always consider when I consider whole life stewardship, whole life management of who we are. We begin with the obvious one, and that is of time. The four T's that God gives us, that is time. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17 say this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming, or that is accounting, counting off the minutes of time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul says to the Ephesians, you need to know how you spend your time. How did you spend your last 168? Well, I was here for at least two of them. I mean, including this morning. Okay? Well done. Thou two-hour steward. How did you use them for the Lord? You know, the typical house, the television is watched on average seven hours a day in the school year, and in the summertime, it's 11 hours a day. The average home, 11 hours. I don't even know how you watch for that long. Yeah. That's an amazing, it literally means from the time someone wakes up to the time they go to bed, the TV's on. Is that your home? How do you account for that time? The phrase redeeming the time comes from the Roman business world, and it means to buy up each opportunity, Paul has said. The only reason the unjust steward is commended is because he realized how he needed to maximize the little time he had left before the master deposed him from his title. Once that title was going to be removed, he knew he was going to be out on his own. He was no longer going to be under the master's care. And so what he did, at least in the briefest of windows, was effective work. That's an amazing thing. He was wary of the short time that he had. May I say to you, steward, we don't have a lot of time until our life is over or until Jesus comes to get us. It is high time we Christians start acting like it. Good stewardship. The shame for this steward is that he did not like live every day, every moment, as he did his final moments before his judgment. Had he been this active in his efforts throughout his stewardship... Had he redeemed his time in the manner of the master's word, he would have been a just and not unjust steward. We see this, by the way, all the time in the Christian life. Christian teenagers who go off and live life selfishly, 
The pastor who's preaching to you as a perfect example, or at least a present example of such a life. They go off and in their 20s and early 30s live for themselves until they get in their 30s and have made a high mess of their life say, well, I better get back to the Lord. We're not redeeming our time in the way that we ought to be redeeming our time. There's scars and damage that is done. What a diminished return on the investment of salvation that God has given to us in this eternal life. The second T that I put in your notes there is that of talent. These are gifts and abilities that God has prepared us to use for his glory. I lump these together under this T. Of course, there's natural abilities that we have, and then there's spiritual gifts. And this message is not about spiritual gifts, but you can find those passages in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter. You can find gifts that God gives to the workers in his body to do for his glory the work of the ministry. If you have been gifted in an area of teaching and you are sitting in the pew, friend, you are wasting what God and his Holy Spirit has given you to do. You are to be using your talent, just like you are to be using your time, for God's glory. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What ability do you have that you can use for God's glory? What talent? Pastor, I can juggle. Well, what a PBS is this week. I bet Zach would love to see somebody up here juggling. I, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Yeah, he said body. Yeah, you said body. <laughs> you say, well, I, I have a talent that I don't even know is that useful. Listen, everything that you have as part of who you are, you are going to give an account for. That's the principle in this parable. Are you just in the use of those, or are you unjust towards God in the use of those things? The third T that I put in your notes there is treasure. The law commanded the tithe from Israel. We heard in the last two weeks a wonderful thought on this from Brother Mike in both of the messages from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 11 through 18. It is a wonderful instruction on what we should be wary of in our own lives when it comes to our own resources. God tells Israel to watch out when they enter the promised land and in the time of abundance that they will have. This is Moses telling the second generation of Israelites who are going to go in and inherit a land that flowed with milk and honey. He begins as he closes the thought to them in verse number 14 this way. Then, once you've gotten into that land, he says, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers do not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at that, thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. May I say to you, this passage is the problem in America today. We need to be humble. And I am looking down the line and realizing that we may be humbled in the next coming years. 
our stewardship of the gospel of peace as a nation, as a people, as our founding. We are headed for troublesome times unless there is a great reviving of this land. Amen. But what is true on the macro level is true on the micro level for just us as an individual church. If we begin to believe we are something or that we have arrived or that we have done this by our own power, God says, no, 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 I will not bless a person that thinks that way. That's a poor steward. You've forgotten your position as a manager. You've begun to think that you're in charge. Because we are not. The final T that we must manage is that of truth. We must be wary not just of our time, not just of our talent, not just of our treasure, but of the truth itself. What is the truth? The truth is the gospel message. The truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him. God will protect his word, his way. We are those who are entrusted as God's stewards of truth in our generation. We are the ones who are the purveyors of truth. We are the ones who are to be living truth. Here's what Paul said to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel or the truth, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God would try our hearts. How many times have you wanted to say a word of testimony or a salvation witness or something to a coworker, a neighbor or a family member, and you didn't? You were pleasing men and not pleasing God. That is your stewardship to deliver. It is your responsibility to give out the good news. The truth that Jesus Christ came, died, was buried, and rose again. To the Corinthians, he said this. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are those who hold the truth. Don't hold it in unrighteousness, the Bible teaches. So the question is, how well do you steward the truth taught in God's word? Would God call you an unjust steward of the eternal life that is yours, freely given? These four T's are represented in in this debtor, or the debtors, I should say, to this steward. They owe the master, and the steward was to be managing their repayment to the Lord. The commendation of the master to the steward is not a commendation of faithful service, but rather of shrewd discernment in a time of crisis. By the way, this man who went to these debtors, did they think well of his master? No, they thought well of him. They probably thought, man, that master's a sucker for hiring a guy like you. But yeah, you were nice to me. I'll take you in. If you live, excuse me, if you fail to live faithfully for Christ throughout your earthly sojourn, be prepared to have a conversation similar to this disappointing steward's conversation with his Lord when you reach the beginning. And make no mistake, the judgment seat of Christ, which is called the rewarder's seat, the bema seat, Paul said in Romans 14, in the latter half of that verse, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. His audience there is disciples, those who know Christ as their Savior. It does not mean that you should not reconnect and recommit to doing the Lord's work. But who knows how much time we have? Don't waste a moment now. The parable moves from dealing with our genuine participation to being generous in our present life. Number two, 
as we read through the parable, we found a steward who was quite generous. Now, he was generous with the Lord's debts, but he was quite generous. And oddly enough, this is what he's commended for. This is always one of the hardest principles to make sure, or parables, I should say, to make sure we drive home what the core principle is. He is still commended, even though he's lost his management ability anymore. He is still commended by the Lord. What is he commended for? Generosity. You say, well, wait a second. I don't know if I see that. The point here is the meat of the message. Jesus points out a redeeming principle in this steward that he wants all of us to have. This man was not worthy of his position, nor was he really worthy of a commendation, but he received one in verse number 8. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done what? Wisely. What was wise? Be generous to other people. Therein lies the wisdom of God. You being generous with the gifts that God gives you towards others is what God wants you to do. The message Jesus wants us to get is the message of generosity. The unjust steward teaches us principles on how God wants us to be generous with his temporal and material blessings. The steward was generous to those who could not repay. Yes, he was generous to win their favor after being cast out of the stewardship, but the underlying principle is still true, and it is what the master commended in this overall unjust steward. While his motives were wrong, his actions in generosity were right. It was appealing to mankind that he, a steward of the master, was being generous. That, in the moment, looked very favorable upon the master. God wants us to be generous with the gifts that he's given to us. He wants us to use what he has given us, time, talent, treasure, and truth, for the benefit of those around us. That was the only wisdom this steward had. Consider first generosity in our material production. This is where this man failed, but there was material production. There was wheat and there was oil that could have been given out, and so he had done so. And he goes back and he does not require the payment in return. Jesus is saying very matter-of-factly that if you are a generous person, you will have influence, and when your time on earth is up, you will be remembered for that influence. Now, again, I'm not arguing, nor is this parable teaching us that we should be unjust towards the Lord. We should be just towards the Lord and generous towards our fellow man. That is the perfect steward in the example. There will be untold, unknown number of people who will act on our influence of generosity and receive Christ as their Savior. That is the everlasting habitation that is spoken of here. Jesus is not saying that we can bribe people to enter into heaven. But he is saying that you, through your generosity to the Lord, to his work, and to those that cannot repay you, your generosity in that sense, through your own material production and work, through the things of this earth that you have, by being a blessing in a generous way, there are going to be countless souls who will be in heaven. We see this all the time in our missions giving. We have 24 missionary families and helpers on the foreign field that we support. You send every month, every year, $1,500 at the minimum to these families, and at the maximum, something like $2,500. I'm certain that we as a church could very much use your support in that area for something here.
here locally. But we have determined to support these missionaries in those places with the money that you give generously to this place so that the gospel message can be preached. Your generosity produces everlasting habitation. Your giving in a generous way makes sure the gospel message can go. That there is a man on the foreign field and his wife and his children that don't have to worry about a payday. They worry about a church or, or worry about the work of the church and giving out the gospel truth. By the way, your generous blessings to giving to the church is very much a material blessing to me. I don't have another job. I live of the gospel. By the gospel and for the gospel. And most Sundays, I preach a message about the gospel. Today, it's about stewardship. And some of you are thinking, just go back to preaching about the gospel. But it's through your generosity. It's through your giving faithfully to this place. That's why I said in the opening announcement this morning, what God is doing in this place through the lives of the people of this place is truly a miraculous thing. It's not because you're giving so that the pastor can get wealthy. I don't own a jet. Creflo Dollar may own a jet, but I don't. I never forget the time I heard that he was begging his church to give enough money so he could buy a second jet. I don't even have a first jet. Can you imagine having a second jet? God bless him. I don't know his doctrine or his policies, but boy, that seems a little over the top. Jesus is not too telling us we can bribe people into heaven, but it is an investment in your generosity in your life, what you give of yourself, your whole self, not just your wallet. Jesus says those good stewards have made a faith-based choice to properly use our material wealth and abundance for the cause of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, it causes people to think differently about God. If you were to say to your neighbor, I give a tenth of all that I make to my local church, what would they say to you? Did you know that in Scott County, the median income in Scott County is $63,000 a year? What could you do with $6,300 extra each year? Well, in three years, you could probably buy a brand new car. Well, not a new car. You could probably buy a used car. Well, you probably could buy a good used car. But the point is, with inflation, you could buy a car. <laughs> stop to think about it and you realize, yeah, I, I don't know how I do explain that to my family. I remember from the very first day, I've had the argument, and I have good pastor friends that disagree with me, but, but Jeff and I have chosen that of a tenth of all that we make, we tithe. The Old Testament Levites didn't have to tithe. The pastor doesn't have to tithe. We can argue that all we want to, but Jeff and I have chosen since the church began to tithe and to give to missions and to give to the building. Yes, it would put an extra $6,000 in our pocket. But we'd rather put that in the church coffers so that the work of the ministry can go forward. That's the principle of just stewardship. We give of our time. We give of our talents. We give of our truth in this place. The material production in our generosity gives way to God's managerial promotion, letter B. In verse number 10, that's verse number 9, 
I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you in everlasting habitation. We find in letter B, God's managerial promotion, and that's verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is in unjust the least is unjust also in much. In other words, if you want to have God's promotion in things that you manage, then you've got to be faithful in the little things of life every day. God wants us to be faithful in the little things. Unfortunately, most of us don't want to be serious about serving God or stewarding God's resources unless it's the big things of life. Man, if I had just hit that Powerball Friday, Pastor, I'd sure give a tenth to the church then. All right. I reckon we can use $120 million. That's how much I'd have to give. I don't know. They say. Sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? God's got more than that. God cares about your daily attitude. He cares about your moment-by-moment choices. He's focused on how you manage your anger when the child asks for the umpteenth time to say his question to you. Stewardship is so much more than dollars. Stewardship is who we are. God is focused on when we choose to deny our flesh. You know that God in heaven rejoices. He's glad for when you say no to that fleshly desire. He cares how you manage that situation. He knows why you choose every morning to get up early, take extra time out of your schedule to pray and commune with him and to read your Bible, to hear from him. He knows that. He cares about that. He's focused on that. That's what the steward here missed. The master cares about all of it. God cares about the small, mundane, daily habits of life being done in the right way. If you master and manage those for his glory, then he will entrust you with bigger and more significant opportunities to bring glory to him. The unjust steward was not concerned with the daily mundane until the master was coming and called for him. And he went about feverishly doing the master's work. God doesn't want panicked stewards. Rather, he wants persistent and faithful stewards every day. Steph and I recently, well, she recently read all the way through the book. I have bad habits. I didn't make it through the whole book, but it was a book called Atomic Habits. Anybody ever heard of that book? It's a great book, not a Christian book. It's a secular book. I caution you about reading it. Pastor from the pulpit always is very careful. But it is a great book written about how you get into good habits every day. And the emphasis of the book essentially is this. Go do the mundane little things because they make up all of life. That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, just go do the simple things, the things you know to do. You do not need pastor to preach a massive revival service for you to start living for the Lord. You just need to get serious about the little things. God wants you to become generous materially, but he also wants to promote you managerially. He wants to give you more. He wants you to be faithful in production so that he can bless you in promotion. Managing God's gifts means we are genuine in our participation, generous in our present life, so that there will be, number three, grace in the promised life that we have. The payoff comes in the true riches from 
God. Have you ever read this parable and wondered at the end of verse 11 what the true riches are? I mean, is it just talking about wealth? Of course not. Jesus has pivoted away from the simple management of the goods that the steward had. He's talking about the management of the things that really matter. Have you ever wondered why God has not entrusted you, if he has not entrusted you yet, with something of significance to manage or significance to do? Perhaps it's because he's not taking care of the little things. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? By the way, who is the one that commits those things? It's God. Not you. You can't just make it up. I'm going to be important. Here's what I'm going to do that's important. God says, no, 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 no. Not unless it's on my timeline. Not unless it's in my will. The payoff comes in the true riches from God. We're not talking about financial rich, uh, richness, though God may bless you in that way. We're talking about being known as a faithful steward of God's blessings. We find letter A, it's grace to be obedient. That's verses 11 and 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's God's, who shall give you that which is your own? The implication, I believe, from verse number 12 is he says, what are you going to expect when you get to heaven? I mean, the parable is teaching us how we manage the temporal goods, teaches us of the true eternal riches that we are going to inherit. And so it doesn't mean there's gradations of heaven, but it means that in the life to come, that little is spoken of in the word of God. Whatever eternity is going to be like, it's not going to be us sitting on a cloud with a harp. We are going to be both kings and priests and have other roles and functions. And who knows what that will be like. But the true riches are those riches, not these riches. This, last, this life lasts maybe 80 years. Maybe 100. Because I did 101 now. Maybe 101 years. But what is that in the scope of eternity? Those are the true riches. Wouldn't you rather live for God and be a good steward here so that he says in that life, whatever it's going to be like, whatever it's going to look like, he says, well done, now good and faithful steward. Enter ye into the joy of the Lord. <coughs> Obedience without supervision is a good definition of operating faith. Zach is going to preach on this tonight. I hope you can be back in the book of James is where he's preaching. But Jesus is effectively saying, look, I want you to obey without supervision as a good manager of what I've entrusted to you. If Jesus has to keep coming and saying, no, 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 don't do that, you're a toddler. You're not a true manager of God's resources. Jesus effectively says, how can I trust you with eternal things if you cannot be faithful in the temporal things? Friend, if your finances this morning are a mess then God cannot truly bless you because you've not taken seriously the simple things of mastering money. It masters you. If you cannot be on time, on a schedule, and faithful to accomplish the routine things of your life on your own, how can God bless you with greater matters of trust and dependency? You can't even be on time. God wants you to demonstrate a grace-filled life of management and control over the temporal things. And not let them control you so that he can continue to bless you with more and more true, divine, eternal riches. I have a couple ideas of what these riches might be. Peace is one of them, I think, is one of the true riches of God. When I've ceased to 
worry about, and I'm managing well all of the things in my life, I'm no longer one that wor runs around worried about losing it all because I realize I don't own any of it. I don't care if the market crashes. <gasps> He's taken care of me this far. Why wouldn't he take care of me when it crashes? I think you're just being naive. I hope I'm being faithful. Another one I came to my mind was contentment. Another one is joy. Another one is compassion and mercy. When I realize that what I have isn't mine, I can be a lot more compassionate to other people with my time, with my talents, with my treasure, and certainly with the truth. But when I think I'm just living for myself, and only in this life am I going to be happy, then I'm an unjust steward, and I will not steward them in the right way. Letter B, and finally this morning, is grace to see the obvious. Verse number 13, no servant can serve two masters, he says. <laughs> Pretty obvious. You ever tried? It wears you out, doesn't it? It'll run you down. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Those, those are strong words. I don't hate God. Listen, if you are living only for this temporal life, you are saying, whether you mean to or not, you are saying in truth to God, you are second place. And if you're second place, God, I don't really love you at all. He said, you will either love the one and hate the other. And he says, if I'm first place, then you're not going to care about the mammon of this world, the unfilthy or the unrighteous mammon of this world. That's the obvious. Jesus' simple teaching is serve God and you will very quickly get control of the temporal matters of this life's mammon. The unjust steward lived only for his immediate life until the master returned. And then it was all about the master. Too late. Wasted at that point. At that point, he hastily tried to make everything the best he could, but he knew in his heart he blew it. I wonder how many Christian stewards are sitting in this room this morning under the sound of my voice saying, yes, I know I have been blessed with eternal life. I've been blessed with all the goodness of God, and I have been wasting it. Stop today. Start serving the Lord. Manage his resources faithfully, daily, Routinely, with the mindset that this pleases God and this is why I'm doing it. The things of this life will begin to take care of themselves. I promise. Well, it can't be that easy. It is that easy. Amen. I can tell you. So, in closing, what kind of steward are you? Are you one at all? You cannot steward eternal life if you do not possess it. Once you have asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, it is then that you begin to manage all the good and perfect gifts that flow down from the Father of lights, as James called them. You should be genuine in your participation, generous in this present life, and gracious in the life of promise that God has given to you. So help us all. Father, I pray as we close.